in the world that we live in, it is so important that we have truth to hold on to, that we know where we stand and why we stand there. Because I tell you, out there in the world, it's just a matter of, I feel this way, well, let's do it. Or this makes sense to me, so let's do it. And the Bible says that that's sinking sand. And we're not to build our house, our life, our church, our marriages on sinking sand. I'm telling you, if you go by the world, you're going to fail. All the money that Hollywood has and all the, the popularity and the movies and everything can't make them happy. And yet, yet we, as Christians, we have this. And this is a solid rock. And this is going to give you something to stand on. And I, and I know today that you came here and, and, and maybe it's the music that encouraged you or the fellowship that encouraged you. But I'll tell you what will change you is God's word. What's going to get you through tomorrow and through next week is God's word. And so it is so important that we dive into this, that you know where it stands. And wherever you're at, that you know that you are hearing the word of God and you're, you're stable on this is important. This, this is as important as the Bible describes it is getting up and eating to have the strength to make it through the day. You cannot make it in life without God's word. And so I want to I really dive into this. I, I want to I know for us as a church, I, I, the, here's my New Year's resolution. I, I want to spend weeks clarifying who we are, where we stand, where we're going, and why. Because I tell you, we have to be intentional in what we do because the days are numbered. I don't know the day nor the hour, but God does. And I know that every day that we have matters. It matters how you raise your kids. It matters how we uh, handle church. It matters how we outreach. It matters. So we need to do it right. God has blessed us with a wonderful church. And, and I, you might be a guest here and saying, well, every pastor would say that. I, I hope so that every pastor would say that. But there's just some things about our church. When we came here, Jen and I came here uh, back in 2000. So we, we just celebrated our 16th anniversary here at the church back in August. And I remember being over at the house uh, across the street, the mission house. And, and we were getting ready for bed and we were meeting people the next day. And I turned to my wife and I said, I know we've only been here a day. And I'm going to tell you, I love this church. I, I said, it's the people, it's, it's the atmosphere, it's the love, it's everything. About, I love this church. And, and I'm going to show you some things today of why I love our church and why this is so important. And, 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 and going through here, I know that there's different churches and different styles and different beliefs and different things that we have. And I sat down with our, our, our staff and I, I, we had a retreat and we were planning out 2017. In this meeting, I asked the guys, I said, let's just stop everything. And I said, pull out a piece of paper. We all pulled out a piece of paper. We pulled out a pen and I, I went around the room and I said, I want you guys right now to just start writing. I want you to write what, what comes to your mind about why you love our church and why our families clung here. And so just so you guys know, we didn't just get hired on at Fellowship Baptist Church to be pastors here at the church. We went looking for a church home as well. I, I wanted a place that I knew that was going to be teaching the word of God to my children and to my wife and to my family. I needed some place that I could grow. And these characteristics, I began to write down what matters to me, what's important to me. What is the DNA and the makeup and the characteristics of our church and our church family? It was cool. When we got to the end of it, I said, here's the thing. Every time we repeat one, I want you to put a mark next to it and see how many of them we had in common. Well, most of them was unanimous. So it was a last minute idea. And I, I told the guys, I said, I, I want to do something else. I said, I'm just curious what the church would say. 
And uh, we sent out an email, and uh, I, I, the email stated, what, what is our core, core values, or what is the foundation? What, what, what do you love about our church that makes you keep wanting to come back? And, and I wish I could have printed this out. And just for the sake of time, this was like a last minute. I had a couple of days. Email was the only way to do that. So I, I know some people were like, man, I wish I could have done that. We just didn't have the time to do it like in a setting like this. So I got the results back and we read them off one by one and made the list next to it. Number one, number one, number one, number one, over and over again. Everybody nailing number one. And I'm going to give it to you today. And then number two was right there. Number three. And then we jumped down to number eight. And we went all through there and saying, you know what's cool about this? Is we're united as to what we do and why we do it. These core values matter to all of us. This is important for us. I want to clearly define our purpose, our mission, and our process. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 verse 18. I'm going to use Jesus as our foundation. And, and I know uh, I'm using this, uh, this illustration as we go through this uh, of building our core, uh, of, of the, the core strength, what holds us together. Uh, you, you, you might have a different preference on this or a different idea, but what is the core that holds us together? What is our foundation? And here Jesus is, he's beginning his ministry in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. And they were fishers. And he said unto them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He did not say, guys, hey, come over here, let's hang out. What are you guys like? Let's sit here and, 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 and just hang out. And he said, no, guys, follow me. You know why somebody says, follow me? Because they're headed somewhere. They're doing something. And guys, I love what we do. I love that you're sitting here right now. And I, I've said this many, many times to you guys before. But I'll tell you, this isn't the whole makeup of the church. And if you've come here today and said, man, this is my seat and this is what I do. That is this much of the church. There's a whole nother part of the church outside of this that we have to understand. There's more to what we do. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know what God was saying? God said, I, I know what you guys are doing. He says, but I've got a bigger plan and I'm going to transform you into something else. You guys realize that that's what God's doing with each and every one of us? How many of you guys right now, I, I need you guys to get, get in this with me. How many of you would say after meeting Christ, you're not the same person as you used to be? Raise your hand, say something, amen, or whatever. You're not. It's amazing what God does in our lives. And God begins to work and transform and change. And it's amazing. And so these guys started off as rednecks. I mean, they, they were fishermen. They, they, they just got the jobs done. They were calloused. And all of a sudden, they're following the Messiah. Three years went by, and these men were ready to change the world. The end result would be literally turning the world upside down. I want you guys to realize that we are here to change lives. We are here to make disciples. We are here to accomplish a mission that God gave us. Jesus took these men. They were fishermen sitting on the seashore. At the end of their life and their time zone, they were literally preaching before thousands and turning the world upside down. You know what that tells me? That Jesus took a raw product out of the world and he did something in those three years to by the end of it, they were standing firm, knowing where they're going and knowing what they're doing. If we as a church are not following that same pattern, we are wasting our time. If we think 
that we're just going to gather and gather and not pull people out of the world and not take ourselves and our children and, and, and start working on them and seeing them grow to where they're going out and changing the world. We're, we're just gathering. We're not accomplishing. And that's what God did. He changed them into something. I want to be intentional. So let's start with our core values. This is our church huddle. Not, this is not our doctrinal statement, biblical principles that guide us to, to do what we do and why we do what we do. Number one, we boldly hold the Bible above culture, tradition, and opinions. And in an ever-changing world, we hold to God's never-changing word. We don't adapt it to how we feel. We don't adapt it to what's going on around us. You see, a foundation is something that does not change. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is our rock. And then the Bible says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word was Jesus Christ. So I'm telling you guys right now, this is our rock. And then this is what holds us together. This is what we build upon. This is the foundation. This is the stability. The Bible is our sole authority. We believe it to be God's preserved word, which literally means that God held it true through all the generations, that it has no errors. And let me tell you, it's just as relevant today as it was the day that it was written. It changes lives, and it is this world's only hope. In Matthew 4, 23, and we were jumped down where we were, and Jesus went about Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. From the very beginning, here Jesus goes and he says, hey, this is what we're going to do. And the guys are following. I know it wasn't physically like this because he was the word. But here Jesus is, he opens up and the first thing he began to do is teach and preach the word of God. It is, it is the foundation. Even at his trial at the end, he was boldly proclaiming truth, even if it meant his life. You say, why is this a big deal? I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Because this world is rejecting God's word today. Rejecting it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want it. And all of a sudden, that is easy to where it can step into the church and people saying, wait a minute. I I don't want to. I don't come here to hear that kind of stuff. Paul was telling Timothy, he said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He said, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. God has blessed us for the same reason here at Fellowship Baptist Church that God was blessing them in this passage because they were preaching the word of God. Allow me to emphasize it like this. Letter A, we are to teach and preach boldly. We are to teach and preach boldly, not be passive, not to be hesitant. And I tell you, it's easy to sit there and and, and see problems in the world going, oh man, man, if I say that, I'm going to offend. I'll tell you, the word of God does offend. It steps on our toes. Isn't it a great feeling when you get under conviction and God's trying to pull you back where you should be? When God's working in your life saying, man, I've got something way better than the trash of the world and God pulls us back. There are some things that should never be up for debate. And the word of God is one of them. The world is changing around us. and We must stand upon the word of God. But in that passage, Paul was telling to Timothy, he said, Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. He said, you're going to have to do this, man, when it's in season, when, you know, it's it's easy and it's popular. But he said, I'll tell you what, you're going to have to do it when it's not. It's something that we need to get together on as a church and families and stuff to understand that when our kids go off to school and they get into the world, they're going to hear things that are very counter what God has said for us. 
They're going to walk into your living room and into your bedroom, Dad, while you're sitting there reading your Bible and come up to you and say, Hey, Dad, I want to do this, or I don't want to do this, or why do I have to do this? You realize that we have to be ready to stand where we stand and know what you believe to be able to give them an answer of it. What we do is counterculture. It's not popular. We've got to preach it boldly. Stand on our foundation in this changing world. If it was not for the power of preaching, I would not be saved today. It wasn't that pastor. It wasn't what he said. It was the fact that he gave truth. And that truth, I'll tell you, went through all my religion because I'll tell you, I was a good person. I I, I didn't smoke, didn't drink, didn't do drugs, didn't eat all these other things. So, you know, in your minds, we sit there and think, man, I'm a pretty good person. But the word of God saw through all my phoniness and my mask and my facade that we put up. And that preacher began to preach and all of a sudden it cut right through all of that stuff and hit my heart. And as a 16-year-old boy, all of a sudden, I got under conviction like crazy. I'll tell you, boys don't cry. I'm not a crier person. And I'm sitting there in church, and all of a sudden, man, I'm heavy under conviction. I'm trying to fight back the tears. Not because of the conviction condition of my heart or whatever I was dealing with. I didn't want to look weak to the guys, okay? They're all watching me, and I wanted to look tough. And all of a sudden, as a 16-year-old boy, I, I, I pushed through the crowd, and I went down the altar, and I gave my life to Christ. He said, how is that possible? Because somebody was willing to boldly preach the word of God. It's quick, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Mom and Dad, you might be frustrated with your kids right now and saying, I would do anything to reach them. All of your words are in vain if you're not being backed up by the word of God. It is the power of God's word that's going to change your spouse. It is the power of God's word that is going to change the community. It's the power of God's word that is going to change your marriage or your children. Only God can do it. If we lean on anything else, it's going to fail and falter. We don't only teach and preach boldly. We are to teach and preach truth. Let me tell you, church. If I was to go around this room and ask you how you feel about something, we're going to be here all day long with feelings and opinions. You know, how many of you feel that Ohio State should have won? Okay. Well, they played awful. They shouldn't have won. Here I am in Alabama watching their game, and they, they did awesome. Okay. And then I'm like, ready, Buckeyes, you know, bring it on and everything. I, I, it, it was embarrassing. Anyways, how, how in the world did I get off on that? We all have feelings and emotions. We all have opinions about things. And I tell you what, a church will die and fail if it is ran by feelings, opinions, and traditions rather than the Word of God. It will fail. People come up and ask you as a dad and say, why do you do this? Well, I've done it my whole life. That's not a very good answer. I want to be able to turn to my kids and say, because God said so. You know why? Because when dad says so, that, that, that has power and authority as a dad. But when God says so, it trumps everything that I feel and think about in my life. Everything. And as a church, in the world that we're going in, everybody's all over the place. You know what the Bible is? It's the solid rock that says, I'm standing here and I'm not going anywhere other than what God has said. It's so important that we get that. We, I, I wrote in that statement, we wrote in that statement, above opinion, above tradition, uh, above the culture of our day. Because the culture of our day is changing and there's things being done around us that is appalling And I tell you what, just because the world accepts it does not mean the church should accept it. 
We've got to know these things. The Bible says in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. He said, thy word is truth. It is absolute truth. When everything else is like, well, I don't know. And God says, here it is. This is the absolute final authority in our lives. And I know sometimes we'll be like, well, I don't think that's right. I'll tell you, I'll challenge you this. Whether it comes to church or your personal life or whatever, get it out of God's word. Go back to God's word. Make it the foundation of everything you do, not on feelings and emotions, opinion and culture around us. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What it, what it means is it's, it's God's breathe. It's, it contains God's word. It means that everything that he said he meant and everything that he said works. We also teach and preach with love. He said in Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things, which is the head, even Christ. See, the world is blinded to sin. You guys get that? When they come in here or you meet them out there, they don't know right from wrong. Actually, the world has been teaching them that wrong is right. You think about that. And the Bible says that they're blinded and all of a sudden we go up to them and we don't bring the love aspect of it. You don't bring the love aspect. You don't drop their guard to be able to reach their heart. We sit there in in ripped face and, man, I put him in his place. You show me where Jesus went up to a sinner and ripped his face off trying to tell him the gospel in in, in the light of what he was trying to do. Even in a Sunday school class, from the pulpit or whatever, God set the authority that we're to preach the truth without apology. Man, we are to shoot it straight. We are to tell it like it is. But we're to do it in love. God loved us in such a way that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. His love is powerful. Correct, but correct in love. We boldly hold the Bible above culture, traditions, and opinions. Church, can you say amen right there? Number two. The core value of Fellowship Baptist Church is we share the gospel in every way we can with everyone we can. Here they are. Disciples following Jesus, and they're probably in their mind going, so he said, follow him. I wonder where we're going. You can imagine their minds, hey, we're going to go sit in the synagogue, or we're we're getting this training, or, you know, whatever. And immediately, Matthew chapter 4, verse 22, going back to that passage. And immediately they left their ship and, and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Can can you imagine following Jesus as Jesus is on this mission? So just hear me out for the next five minutes, okay? So here they are following Jesus. And I thought I'd just take one of the Gospels and kind of go through it. And I wrote out this. John chapter 1, Jesus calls the disciples. And while he's doing that, he's given the Gospel and the mission of life using the illustration of fishing. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. John chapter 2 We get to Jesus ministering at a wedding. And he teaches and uses the broken temple at the end of it as his illustration. In John chapter 3, it's a one-on-one confrontation. A religious leader comes up to Jesus. Jesus said, dude, you're lost. You must be born again. And he uses the illustration of life and birth and family as a spiritual illustration. In John chapter 4, Jesus goes to the woman at the well. 
one-on-one with a woman that had been very lost in sin and religion. Jesus comes up to her and he used water pots and the well. And the living water is his sermon illustration. In John chapter 5, Jesus is in the marketplace. He's reaching the lame man. And Jesus broke tradition and healed on the Sabbath day. He made the religious leaders very angry because it went against their tradition. In John chapter 6, Jesus has a crowd of thousands following him. He sat down and he said, guys, I don't want them leaving. Let's feed them. He takes food as a tool, as a method to sit them down. And he feeds them on the side of that hill. And then he opened up his mouth and he began to hold up a piece of bread and use that bread saying, I am the bread of life. John chapter 7, he preaches at the Feast of the Tabernacle. He gives them the illustration of being thirsty and that he would be the only one that could quench their thirst. In John chapter 8, he forgives the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. But that message was far different because Jesus said nothing. Except he stooped down while everybody was yelling out for her to die. And he began to write in the sand with his fingers. And we don't even know what he wrote, but it was enough to change all their hearts and their minds where they dropped their stones and walked the other way. We've heard that Jesus probably sat down and began to write out all their sins of what they did. And as they were reading, they go, yep, I'm out of here. You know, it's like, that's my name right there. John chapter 9, Jesus ministers to a family that with a sick child. He uses their blindness and the blindness of the child as an illustration. In John chapter 10, Jesus is teaching using parables Physical stories of life that have a spiritual message. And he illustrated that I am the door. You'll never get to my father unless you go through me. He illustrated how we're his sheep. A physical illustration. John chapter 11. Jesus teaches at a graveside while people are grieving over the death of Lazarus. And Jesus comes and tells them, I am the resurrection and the life. He used the very death of Lazarus as an illustration of what he does. In John chapter 12, he used darkness to illustrate the condition of the world, that they're lost in darkness and they cannot see. In John chapter 13, he is ministering at dinner at a table. Jesus gets up and gives one of the most powerful messages he's ever preached by saying nothing. He took off his outer garment, knelt down and began to wash their nasty feet. And he gave a message at that very moment about humility. In John chapter 15, he taught these men using the illustration of him as the vine. Without him, you could do nothing. Through the remainder of the gospel, Jesus proclaimed the truth. Even at the trial, when they say, who do you say you are? And Jesus boldly boldly proclaimed the truth. What I learned is Jesus preached to crowds. Jesus preached at a dinner. Jesus fed people. Jesus used illustrations. Jesus witnessed one-on-one. Jesus used times of fear of them being on the storm and being in the middle of of the raging sea. Jesus preached from a boat because the crowd got too big. Jesus preached on the side of a hill. Jesus preached in the temple. And Jesus preached on the cross. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Don't put ministry in a box. Don't do it. We sit there and say, that's not how we do it. Jesus was like, hey, I got another idea. Hey, guys, I got another idea. Hey, I got another idea. We're going to do things, and it's not always going to work, and I am okay with that. But we're not going to stop trying to do things to reach people in any way we can and reaching everyone we can. You know why? Here's the thing. We must be aggressive when it comes to preaching the gospel. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they fainted. He was motivated because you realize that it cannot be a passive thing with us if it's just a program in the church or a side thing that we do. Giving out the truth is what we live and breathe to do as a church. It's everything. And I'm not just talking about me as your pastor. I'm telling about us as a body of Christ. We must be aggressive in telling it. Jesus said, hey guys, I must go through Samaria. Hey guys, I must go over there where the maniac is. Hey guys, I must be at that wedding. Hey guys, he was on the move to reach people. And here the church is wondering, I wonder why, wonder why the world is dying. Why is 4,000 churches you know, closing their doors? And Jesus sees the church like this. And well, we like this, and then we go back to this. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and God says, hey guys, they think that's church. I mean, I mean that's, that's great what we're doing. This is the huddle. We get together in here and say, man, God is good and God is great. And praise God and feed my spirit and fellowship with one another. And I need you and you need me. Let's go do something with it. And if we don't get that in our mind, and I, I just read through the book of John in a sense, an overview of what it is. And then we turn around and say, hey, let's be like Jesus and call ourselves Christians. And then we don't do anything. And guys, I am not saying at all that we got to get in the mindset of work, 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 work. There's got to be a balance. We're going to get into all that when we talk about our process. We talk about who, what we should be doing. Because I tell you, a lot of Christians, they only go so far. By January 21st, they're burnt out. Because they're not doing it right. But I'm burdened. Big time. That the days are numbered. That I can watch the news. And I can look at Israel. And I can watch the changes. And I can watch what's being said. And God's saying, do you get it? Do you understand? Just had one of my uncles die. I have three more aunts and uncles that are really close. They're very sick. And each and every one of them are, 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 are lost. My uncle was lost. And I tell you, I changed it two years ago. And I announced and I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to every family reunion and every funeral and every gathering that they have. And I'm just trying to do what I can. You know why? Because there's got to be an urgency in our heart that this matters and this is important. It's got to be the heartbeat of us to understand that there, we've got to be aggressive when it comes to preaching the gospel. We not only have to be aggressive, we've got to be creative. Jesus was very creative in his teaching and his ministry. And I, I know I took five, ten minutes to illustrate that point, but I'm telling you, it's important that we think outside the box. And I know some people that, that gets nervous, but I'll tell you, Jesus made everybody nervous. Hey, should we go in the town and buy food? He says, nah, we'll just pull it out of a basket. It's like, what? We only have a, a, a little boy's lunch. And God did amazing things with people that just had faith. Guys, God can do amazing things with us as we, we, we move forward with faith. I'll tell you, I loved our Christmas trauma. I loved it. But I'm going to be honest. I love this past year of doing it different. I loved having Christmas. And I loved having Christmas programs, and I loved doing these things. And I loved the fact that we had over 30 people give their life to Christ at the Easter drama this past year. Amen. And I loved the fact that we had people coming in that normally would not come to church because we were willing to change our method. The Bible does not change, but methods change. It's really quiet in here. 
The Bible does not change, but methods change. If you are not willing to change your method, you are willing to die as a church. And I tell you, we, we, I, I've seen Pastor Dave do some amazing things through our Vacation Bible School of what we used to do and different ways that we used to do. We used to have a talent competition and different things that we do. And slowly through the years, we've, we've shifted it. Now he does the drama and things. And I'll tell you, even with the age that we now only do 6 to 11 instead of 5 to 12 and the things that we have done, this place is packed with children hearing the gospel and going back and giving their life to Christ and coming in because they want to see a skit, a funny skit about Star Wars, but they leave the church hearing about Jesus. And and I look at that and say, "What, what is that about? It's because we have a desire to preach the Bible to everybody we can in any way we can. And I'm not even saying about sin. So if you get that, it's like, what does that mean? We're going to sit around, drink beer, and, you know, hang out in the bar. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being creative in what we do. We will be faithful to the mission, but not the method. We will try new things. We will fail. We will fail. And then when that fails, we're going to get up and try something else until we find things that work. But I tell you, we're not going to stop trying. And we're going to do it and do it and try and be creative and, and, and wait and allow God to work through us as a church. I have so many things that I want to say. <laughs> and the time is running out very fast. And I'll tell you what, rather than rushing it, I, 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 we might even switch things around. I was supposed to do four of our values today and I, I, I cut it back to three and I might even cut it back to two. Let me tell you, as a church... We've got to, because these things are so, I I don't want to do things just because we've done them. And I'll tell you, a while back, God laid it on my heart, even even how I speak and how I do things before. As you realize, even in the changing culture and the world that we live in, that that somebody brought this to my attention one time and and said, you've got to stop saying that you're going to have an altar call and invite people down to the altar. Because what is an altar to a lost person? It was a place where they crucified and killed or tried to kill Isaac. There's a place where in the Bible where they put animals and they flip through their picture Bible and they turn the next page and there's, a, there's an altar with a dead animal on it and just say, who wants to come to the altar? Now I've said, who wants to come pray? It's just a different way of saying it. But it's important that we connect the people to understand what we're doing is we're inviting them to pray. We're inviting them to know Christ and that's important. We're not changing what we do, but we've got to change how we say it. You imagine sitting there in church and saying, come down to the altar. What is he saying? He wants to kill one of our kids. Well, we're not going down there. <laughs> well, maybe the one at the end. I don't know. <laughs> I asked God a while back, how do we connect to the hearts of people that come? And I want you to know that it's not just me. I can't just be Pastor Tony. It's it, church, it, it's got to be all of us. It's got to be where we walk through the door and we walk out the door with a mindset of who is lost and who needs Jesus. Who came today and why did God bring them here? And the fact that I am the light of the world, I am the truth. And you say, wow, that's pretty confident. No, Jesus called them and said, no, you have the truth and you are the light. And yes, they are in darkness, but you are the change and you are the hope and you are the help. Every time we give an invitation and somebody walks the aisle, you should be praying, not planning out lunch. When you walk out of there and you see people struggling in the hallway or they don't know where to go, it should be you guiding them because this should be a place of refuge and help and love. This should be different than any place in the world. 
And if they feel more love from a Walmart greeter than they do you at Fellowship Baptist Church, something's wrong with us as Christians. There's got to be something here special. There's got to be something real and authentic and deep and life-changing. We've got the gospel that has changed us, made affect us so much that it changes others. It's got to be on our hearts and minds constantly. I tell you, these core values. I got five minutes. We're doing one more. Number three, we are a growing family that makes everyone feel loved and at home. Let me break this statement down. We are a growing family, spiritually and physically. It's our goal. It's our, it's our desire. Part of our mission as a church is to grow. Do you know why? Because it is biblical. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily as such has been saved. If people are being saved, then the church is going to grow. And to say that I don't want the church to grow is to say that I don't want to see people saved. Does that make sense? And when people sit there and say, well, I don't like the size of the church, that's the same thing as saying, I wish we'd have less people saved. Or I, I, I just, I liked it better when it was smaller. I liked it better when I knew people. I liked it. It's like, we can't get upset because there's too many saved people in a room. I, was, I can't even fathom. I mean, people have said, oh, I'm leaving because it's just, it's not the same as it used to be. Or it's not this or it's not that. I'm thinking where there's new faces. I tell you, we are a family. Can I tell you something about a family? Families change. I, I went, I, we were gone for eight days at both families. And here we are. I'm bringing my, my beast of children that are, that are giants, six foot, you know, Jordan coming in and, and he used to be the little one running around opening up all the gifts. And now there's a whole new crew of these little kids running around and opening up gifts. And I told Jen, I said, I miss the days where the kids would sit down and they'd be so excited. They'd rip open the thing and then fall in love with the box and, you know, all, all those good things. And, and now my kids, we, we went to my father-in-law's. We're outside building a shed and doing all these things. And I'm saying, my life is different than it was 10 years ago. Guys, can I tell you, as a church family, our church family will grow. And as it grows, it's going to change. And some people buckle up and say, I don't want it to change. I tell you, that's just part of life. Your kids grow up, you grow up, we get old, we get out of shape. It all, all, it just, it's just life happens. And all of a sudden, we can almost get bitter towards God because of the changes that happen in the family. And God said, family changes as part of life. We've got to strive to biblically grow as a church. Because every person is a soul and every person matters and every person is somebody that God died for and wants them to know Jesus Christ. And when they get saved and they get baptized, they need to belong to a body of Christ because that is biblical. Being part of a growing church is a blessing, but it brings challenges. We strive to be a growing church. We also strive to be a loving family. This is a biblical picture God is our heavenly father. We are born into the family of God. You must be born again. We are brothers and sisters in Christ because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's biblical, biblical. The whole story, when we sit there and call each other brother in Christ or whatever, all of these things are biblical examples. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.1, Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us. 
Here's some more facts about family. Not only does family change, but families disagree. Do you guys know that? Families disagree. Families are also to to care for one another. In Romans 12, 10, be ye kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. continue. And then it just say love. It said brotherly love. It's tender affection. It's the same love that there is between a parent and a child. Because let me tell you, if you are here today, you are part of a family. And there's good that comes with that, and there is bad that comes with that. Have any of you ever had a conflict with somebody in your family? Raise your hand right now. and Be honest, okay? Be honest. All right. There's going to be conflict and problems and things... In my family, my, my kids have, and I'm just being honest, we have a weird uncle. My kids have a weird uncle, okay? He's their only relative that lives in Ohio, and every time I get with these kids, my kids, I just say, smile and just treat them as nicely as possible, and, you know, we'll get through this. But every, every family has the weird ones. Every family has the ones that are going to irritate you and agitate you. And I tell you, it's going to be the same thing in church. And you're saying, man, I'm just telling the elephant in the room, okay? That's, that's just how it is. There ought to be love, appreciation, and an atmosphere that's in here that's above any place in the world. Because we've got the Spirit of God that brings unity and love in an indescribable way. We're going to mess up, and we're going to offend each other, and we're going to say dumb things. You're going to be in a fellowship, and you're going to say something, you're going to walk away going, why did I just say that? You're going to get in the car and say, honey, you won't believe what I just said. And you're thinking, oh, that's not too bad. And she goes, how in the world could you just say that? We say dumb things. And I tell you what's easy to do is all of a sudden in a loving family, we we sit there and turn our back and say, well, I'm never going back there again. Can you imagine my kids being like that? My kids fighting and all of a sudden Jordan's walking out the door of the suitcase. Where are you going, Jordan? Logan offended me. I would lose all my kids. All, all they do is fight and offend each other. Jesus, you know, it's a, the powerful thing about it is God knew this. And he said in Matthew eighteen fifteen, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. Don't let the devil chase you out of the church. If God moves you, Man, let God move me. I remember when I was a kid, there, there was, there, we were in a church and there was another church starting and God moved us to that other church and it was a God thing and I'm so thankful for my heritage of what God did, but I knew that God was... But sometimes we move because we get mad, not because it's right. You know what happens when we get upset at a brother or sister at Christ or somebody that says something and even myself? Most of the time, I'll be honest, it's not something that was... It was just misunderstanding. You go back to them and say, what did you mean by that? And say, oh, nothing. I was thinking of this, and I said this, and I didn't mean anything about it. And you almost left your church or cut fellowship with somebody over something dumb. And God said, I've got a plan for that. If you have a brother and he's done something to offend you, you just go to the brother and you make it right with the brother and you say, I'm sorry. And and if you make it right, you've gained something powerful. And every time we get upset with each other and we sit there and we walk away from it, you know what we're doing? We're teaching our kids to turn their back on conflict. To where all of a sudden when they have marriage problems or they have kids problems or they have a job problem, well, my boss offended me and I just walked out on them. No! 
And you say, how, where in the world did you learn that? Probably from watching mom and dad at church. We are to teach our kids how to handle life through how we treat and live our lives between one another. We strive to be a growing family. We, try, we strive to be a loving family. And we strive to make others feel loved and accepted as well. A church that does not have a love and a heart for guests is a church that will die. Did you know this is biblical in Romans 12, 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality? 1 Peter 4, 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. The word hospitality means entertaining strangers. It means to love those that are without. I'm going to clarify something right there. People say there's cliques in church. There should be connection in church that is close and intimate. There should be. Jesus had 12. Did he have a clique? Can you imagine everybody? I'm not talking to that Jesus guy. He's got a clique, you know. Like, can you imagine going up to Jesus and confronting him? I'm tired of your clique, you know. <laughs> do you have the guts to do that? Did you guys know that even within the clique, Jesus had the inner three of Peter, James, and John that he was close to? Can I tell you guys, every one of you, if you want to use this term, needs a clique? Now, before you go along, you say, wait a minute, I thought cliques were bad in church. Cliques are bad. Because you know what the difference between a family and a clique? A clique is one that will not accept anybody else in. When you see somebody, you have that family of community. Jesus went around and every person he said, he goes, guys, let's talk to them. Let's minister to her. Let's stop, guys, right here. Somebody touched me. Father, with all the people, or Jesus, with all the people, how would you know? He's pointing out, somebody in this crowd needs me right now. He didn't have a clique. He had a family. As we have to be a growing family that strives, that, that goes out of our way to pull other people in to make them feel accepted and loved. Because I tell you, in the world that we live in, from the outside in, people look at the church of going, I don't know what I'm going to get when I get in there. All they see is what they see on TV and holier than thou and they dress up and they wear a suit and tie and they carry the family Bible through the door. We've got to understand and go out of our way to love on them and pull them in and make them know that this is where they belong. If Jesus will minister to somebody on the cross, how dare we not minister to somebody in the seat next to us? To go out of our way to love people unconditionally and to let them know that they are accepted and they belong here. I don't care how they look or how they dress or what they're wearing or what they... We, we've got to understand that God brought them here for a reason. And if the world will turn around and give them a place like a bar that is nothing but shallow and gives them entertainment that passes away and they go to the church and not get acceptance, something's wrong. We've got to strive to be a loving, growing family that also reaches out to pull other people in to make them feel loved and at home. You say, why are these things important? When I follow my Jesus, I see it all over him. When I read through the Gospels, I see these things that the Gospel and preaching the truth was important. And I see that he shared the Gospel with everybody he could in every way that he could of going out of his way from the side of a hill to the cross of Calvary. And then I see that Jesus was creating a, a, a family of pulling people in and making them feel loved and accepted. Did you know how he greeted Judas in the garden that day? He walked up and called him brother even at that point, or called him friend at that point. 
These things will make us strong. If we live them out and not just know them. But I'm going to close this out like this. What about you? I, I mean, corporately, we're as a church, but I want to bring it down to you. Do you hold the Bible above culture, tradition, and opinion in your home for your life? Do you have a, a double standard where the Bible says this, but I'm going to live this way? I'm going to do my own thing? Maybe your New Year's resolution says that I'm going to live this way and no other way. And if I don't know what it says and how to live it, I'm going to get back to it so I can live it. And number two, do you live your life in such a way that you share the gospel with everyone you can and in every way you can of going out of your way to get to them? Because you work with people that are lost. You, you have family that are going to hell. You, you, you pass people all the time. Maybe tomorrow your New Year's resolution should be to get up and find them, to go to them and love on them. You know what the other thing is? We've got to be out of, go out of our way to love on people, to be a family within our own homes and within the body of Christ. We're to be a growing family that is constantly getting closer to God. Your New Year's resolution should be that we're going to remain faithful to the house of God. We're going to go to church. We're going to hear the Bible. I want my kids to grow up knowing Jesus Christ rather than when they're 18 and you're sitting back going, I don't know why I can't get them to church. Probably because you didn't keep them in church at three, four, five, and six year old. And I'm not saying that's a for sure, bringing them to church and they're going to love God. But I tell you, exposing them to the church will change their life or exposing them to the word will change their life.